If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Beyond the Paper Gown, hosted by Dr. Mitzi Krakover, helps people think critically about women's health issues, encouraging them to question and explore the complexities of healthcare systems, scientific advancements, and societal norms. There's a really cool episode that you should check out called Midday Menopause App. And that's about how AI and sensor technology can provide personalized interventions to manage menopause symptoms effectively. Check out Beyond the Paper Gown on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. This is episode 124 of the podcast. If you're new to the show, I want to welcome you. Highway to Health is your place for trusted health guidance and support. Whether you're looking to improve your health or just seeking ways to stay well, we're here for you. This growing community is on a mission to improve our state of being and experience together on the planet. So today I'm sharing an interview of me and my work for the podcast Talk About Pain. The interviewer, Rick Olderman, is a physical therapist in the Denver area who's written a number of books on pain and has a real curiosity for someone who's been in practice for more than 20 years. He really dug down into my work to better understand how I approach people's bodies when they're struggling with pain or with other acute conditions. I've had a number of listeners over the years ask if I can explain exactly what it is I do and what craniosacral therapy entails. So hopefully this interview will answer a few questions. It's also on my Frequently Asked Questions page of my personal website for my practice, jeremyquinbycst.com. Here's me talking to Rick Olderman. Everyone, thanks for joining me to talk about pain. I've got a real special treat for you. Jeremy Quinby uh, is here, and he is, among other things, a craniosacral therapist. And we'll dig into all of this really soon. Jeremy has been an integrative health specialist for nearly 25 years. In 2014, he became involved in numerous projects across the country exploring better care delivery, vetted local health networks, and the development of a health improvement system as an alternative to our current system of managing care. I think we can all agree that we need a, a better, an improvement to our current system of managing care. Yeah. So the Highway to Health podcast, uh, which Jeremy created, was born out of this, an extension of his 20-year career helping individuals and families become healthier in their day-to-day -day lives. His intention, which will be more clear after listening, is to broaden the view of what we call health to educate and to encourage all of us to build a healthier, more connected world around ourselves. So Jeremy, thanks so much for joining me. I'm really looking Absolutely. forward to talking to you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, let's start right off the bat. Uh, a lot of people don't know what cranial sacral therapy is. I have a vague understanding, yep. but I would love to hear from a professional who, 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 you know, understands it more deeply. So please tell us. Sure. So, I mean, my, my interest initially in my, in my work was always the nervous system. So when I learned about the dural membrane system, which is the housing of the nervous system, it's a three-layered membrane that houses the, the brain, the spinal cord, and the cerebrospinal fluid. So that is the craniosacral system. 
Okay. And so the approach to, to, to craniosacral therapy is actually kind of working to free up any restrictions around this system. So within that system, we have a, a saline tide, basically. Our cerebrospinal fluid moves back and forth within that system about every five to seven seconds. So it's a kind of a resetting, uh, midlining mechanism for the body. It also pushes through little villi that, that go out into your lymphatic system. So it's a detox, you know, system, you know, or it detoxes or, uh, that, that, that fluid as well. So the, things build up over time that are sort of toxic amyloid beta and these kinds of things. And we want that stuff to continuously move out of the system. So it started I, to, to me, it just felt like if we could work directly with that nervous, that nervous system, um, charge really, because that's really what's going on is that it, that is, that is the, the last thing that stops moving when we die. So mm-hmm. knowing that, knowing that that's the kind of the essential piece to us, I, I became more interested in how we work with that system. And it's a kind of, it's, it's connected, you know, directly to our, our connective tissue system, our fascial system, and it is a kind of fascia. So the, the way that we work in craniosacral therapy is different than, than chiropractic, even though we're kind of working on that same system. My goal is to free up restrictions of of that of that fascial system and soft tissue around that, and so we work with we work with the bones of the head, which are kind of like our tectonic plates, right? We've got these we got a big midline, we've got you know we've got our frontal bone, our sphenoid, our you know mandible, parietal bones, uh, temporal bones around our ears, and what I'm looking for is how pressure moves up through that through that area. And and then can we create just a little bit more mobility to that tissue so that you know that if you think about that that dural membrane as being kind of like a fluid sac, as as pressure comes up there, there's just more more mobility to that system, and the more range we have to it, the more pressure we kind of pump back and forth through that system, and that kind of helps to you know create all sorts of good function for the body. So that's kind of my my focus. It it can also kind of lead into some some work that's that's really kind of more orthopedic in nature. But it can also work um, with things that are really just more autonomic in nature. So autonomic meaning the autonomic nervous system, our fight or flight, you know, sympathetic, parasympathetic, and then there's a lot of there's a lot of response that also happens with that that vagal that polyvagal system, which is you know another another part of that that autonomic nervous system. So I kind of feel like I get to work with all the systems of the body just by working with this. Okay, so. What and correct me if I'm wrong because I'm I'm trying to follow you here. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. I'm not intimately uh, knowledgeable about the dural system in our central uh, spinal canal. So yeah, it sounds like uh, there are uh, fascial layers within the um, within this uh, spinal fluid canal, being our spinal cord and our, our surrounding our brain. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, and all so, and all the all the way down through the through the spine down to the sacrum. So that's you know the correct. So, yeah, so the whole in a, spinal in a, column. So so when 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 I'm working the system, you know, the the, the bones become kind of like my handles, right? Mm-hmm. So I will I'll sort of get underneath the, the tailbone and and apply you know very light traction. We use about five grams of of traction, which is about the weight of a nickel, you know. Okay. But but really, what it is is you know what my hands become tuned into is where does that tissue take me? Is it taking me off of midline right or left? Is it going into, you know, flexion or extension? And then seeing where I can find, start to get some mobility to it. Once, once that tissue starts moving, you know, it kind of has a life of its own, as you, as you know, probably with your work, 
it'll start to kind of go into these patterns. And then I start to work with that, that, the mobility of those patterns. And then, you know, over, over the course of the session, I'm really trying to see if I can create, you know, as much range to, to that and, and take it out of any like extreme patterns that are becoming overly dominant, you know, taking us, you know, out of our midline or something like that. So that's, that's really what I'm looking for um, when I'm, when I'm working. So, you know, okay. that's, that, that's, that, that might help a little bit to think about, what how how I'm working with that that system? I am I am ultimately always tuning into the way cerebrospinal fluid moves back and forth within that system, and so because it's happening every five to seven seconds, I can keep tuning into the way that that fluid, you know, moves through that tissue area, and sometimes I can use the, I can even use the pressure of that fluid to to create a little bit more range, even you know, kind of help to 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 guide the tissue. And once it starts going on its own, it starts to create its own force, and that's really what we're looking for. This is kind of this this innate response that 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 you know creates this motion within the system and and the better that is on its own the less i'm needed that's kind of the goal okay so when you're talking about uh moving the tissues within the system yeah. are you talking about moving the tissues within the spinal cord column and not, not, within yeah, the not, brain are you talking about the tissues outside of that system that are influencing that spot right forward? right surrounding the system so Got so it. i'm not i'm not in any direct contact with with the brain or spinal cord i'm really working around that that dural membrane system and and we can we can access you know a little bit of that through you know the the sutures the sutures of the head you know there there's fascia that kind of goes through all of those things down to the dural membrane so in a way even by just by having that that gentle amount of pressure on there you know and and the and the thing about that system because it's a very sensitive system it likes the gentle touch you know and this is where mm -hmm. i you know we can get into conflict about sometimes with chiropractic is should we be doing so much such a high force adjustment you know and and i think a lot of chiropractors have changed their methodology for this they're starting to do a lot lower force work to start sometimes working their way in sometimes not doing full adjustments even for for a few sessions and that's i tease some of my chiropractic friends that they're doing craniosacral work now <laughs> but that's kind of you know i mean it's just I'm I'm more of the of the safety mindset, and part of it is because I came from a, a you know chronic back pain, and I didn't do well with adjustments, and I didn't do well with you know even massage when I was first you know starting out. It was like that was even too much, and I and because I do you know different kinds of of manual therapy, craniosacral therapy is the one I get called on the most because I'm the most specialized in it, but. But I, I'm, I, you know, if I get someone into my office who's in a very tenuous place with, you know, either having muscle spasms or having a lot of, you know, joint pain or sciatic nerve pain, I'll, I'll start out as, as gently as possible. And so, you know, if you think about that, that fascial system, because, because it's everything's so tied together, you know, fascia for anyone who doesn't know about this is we, the Latin of fascia is glue. <laughs> Right. So it's really this, this, this water-based matrix that's innervated and kind of ties the whole, you know, body together and all the systems really when it comes down to it, because it's, you know, around all our organs too. So, you know, when I'm, when I start out working, sometimes I'll start out, a lot of times I'll start out at the feet or kind of base of the head and neck. And I'm just applying that gentle traction, kind of letting the body do its unraveling, you know, it almost, you know, with that little bit of pressure, I can start to feel things move. You see the breathing system start to open up and change. You just see the whole body kind of start to settle a little bit more. And then I can kind of sometimes get in and I'll have a sense from those endpoints sometimes where I'm feeling more restriction. And then I'll kind of go to those places and work. Okay. So I want to continue drilling down into this idea of the cerebral spinal fluid. Yeah. So it sounds like you're talking about the, the fluid is moving with within this circuit in our brain spinal column. 
Right. And uh, it sounds more like a tide that goes in and out rather than a circuit around. Exactly. Is that how yeah. you, you would describe it? Yeah, and and as the it's it's kind of an interesting thing because the 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 as the fluid basically goes to the top of the system and then back down to the system, so it's creating this force, you know, up and down. It's a semi hydraulic, you know, system is basically what it is, right? Because it does move out of these little villi, out, you know, into the lymphatic system. So so one of the things we're trying to do is like improve that pump a little bit. And 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 the thing about that cerebrospinal fluid is and and that dural membrane when when we're sleeping that dural membrane actually softens and opens up a little bit. It knows that it can it can use that opportunity when we're resting to sort of pump that system a little bit harder, right? Excuse me. So that's that's one thing, you know, we 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 have to kind of think about it from that innate, you know, place of what is our what is our body trying to do with that with that system. And so, you know, in in a way I try not to be too invasive with that system because I I kind of trust that it can it can kind of figure out what it needs to do for itself. And that's a very different approach to to care compared to our Western model. But I it's just from what I've seen, I I just I have a lot of faith. And also coming, you know, I know I know you've been through this too, but just recovering from a, a back, you know, pain or or health crisis of any sort and knowing that your body can can be better. I mean, 25 years later, after I've had had my my worst bouts of back pain, I don't have anything, which, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of tells us how our body can heal too. Yeah. So Continuing in with the cerebral spinal fluid idea. Yeah. So these little uh, hair-like projections called villi. Yeah. Are they the things responsible for the tides moving the no, cerebral so, spinal fluids, or so what, what's responsible for the movement? Um, well, this that, that that could get into the weeds. I mean, it, it is it is an innate thing that happens in our bodies. You know what okay. makes the what makes the heart beat, right? There's an electronic, I'm sure, component to it. That you know the the electrical system, I'm sure, somehow needs to have that. Um, so and and it does, you know, because that cerebrospinal fluid is this saline that's that it's the necessary, you know, kind of matter that we need to actually have that electrical, you know, thing happening. So it's bathing the brain and spinal cord, you know, mm -hmm. for for a purpose, right? The 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 fluid is is created in in what we call the choroid plexus, and it's almost kind of like this little wellspring that creates that that fluid. So, you know, th there is a source, there's a, you know, there's a source to where that fluid comes from, mm -hmm. but yeah, there's a lot of mystery around why, why, why does this continue to move this way? And it happens it. In, in, in any, you know, creature with the vertebrae. Okay. So it sounds like with cranial sacral therapy, uh, it sounds like you are helping that fluid move mm -hmm. when it becomes maybe stagnant in some ways. Is that or how would yeah, you, is that how you would? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not so much a stagnation as as maybe a, it, when it becomes restricted. When anything, when you know, when we've when we've lived and had a lot of stuff happen with our tissues, you know, in our bodies, it changes the dynamics. So let's say you have a a, a left ankle injury, right? Mm -hmm. You you know from from your work that that probably is also going to create an imbalance and maybe cause some problems on the right side with the knee or the hip, sure. and that's going to cross back over and kind of create some strain patterns. So it kind of works its way up and over. Over time, you know, multiple injuries or stressors or a lot of repetitive use type things will start to put strain around that system. And what it does really is it, it takes it sometimes, you know, into sort of winding patterns, you know, where it's not it's not getting ease of movement through that system. So in a way, um, I'm just looking to, to, you know, free up any restriction I can around that system. 
Okay, so uh, I, I'm I'm really just trying to walk through this so I understand yeah, exactly. Go, yeah, keep my going. I like understand it. this. All right, so uh, you wouldn't describe it as a stagnation, but maybe a restriction of movement. Restriction. And so the things that are restricting that movement are what? Um, it, it can be a lot of things. Like I was saying, it could be it could be injury to the to the area. There could be scar tissue. It, just that patterning itself, as I was saying, you know, as as we have these strain counter strain patterns all throughout right. the system, it can it can it can create you know sort of a compression around that area that just doesn't make it move as well. So, we, and when with craniosacral therapy, we we call that fluid tide movement that that it goes into flexion and extension. So the body mm-hmm. has this has this sort of gentle elongation as it as it moves up through the system. And as it goes down towards its midpoint, it actually broadens a little bit, you know, so the, the body is actually in that kind of constant motion of, of that. And it's very subtle, you know, you, you, you can't see it, you know, visually, you can feel it pretty easily with your hands, especially at the feet. So that's part of the reason I start a lot of times with the feet is that you can actually feel that flexion and extension phase pretty easily from the feet. Once you, once you learn what it feels like, and if you get really good, like I have some clients who now can feel it on themselves. Right. Because they're so used to the way that that they can start to, you know, tune into that motion that goes on in their bodies. Sometimes when I'm working, too, they'll feel like even though it's very subtle, they, they might feel like a lot of, you know, motion down through like one leg and and they can feel the way it's completely restricted and not getting any motion through another leg. So over time, I think the more that we can sort of tune into those things as, you know, as a client on the table, we can also work with the practitioner a little bit more, too. Right. So. So, so what it sounded to me, and, and forgive me if I'm getting it wrong, I just want to make sure I understand this. So when you, you're working with appendages like the arms and legs and the rest of the body, yep. in terms of how it's interacting with the spinal column, yep. which then causes this restriction in the cerebral spinal fluid. Is that yep. correct? Yeah. So 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 it could be, you know, that that this is this is where you know we have to kind of think more globally with the body, right? Mm-hmm. I, I I am gonna I'm gonna spend much more time sort of around the central you know, nervous system, right. Around the, from the sacrum all the way, you know, through the spine and up to the, up to the cranials. But, but I, but I might also find that there's a lot of restriction or a lot of drag maybe happening, say through the iliotibial band on the outside of a leg, or, you know, sometimes from the base of the head and neck, you'll feel a lot of restriction. You know, if there's the neck is such a complex of, of muscles and fascia and stuff. And so, you know, I'm just looking for places to start out with where I notice a lot of restrictions. So when, when I'm doing a reading, maybe this will kind of help you think about this. When, when I first start working with somebody, if I've never worked with them before, I'll, I'll usually start at the start at the feet, kind of, you know, just lightly have my hands on, on you know, their their legs. I'll come up around the pelvis and just kind of get a sense of like, how, how is that organized in around the rib cage? Sometimes you can see it. I mean, if you, if you look at someone's clothing and the way that it falls on their body, when they lay down on the table, it's pretty indicative of their fascia as well. Actually, Mm -hmm. you can sort of see the way those lines are sort of pulling the body into these different things, but I have to go with what my hands are because that's that's not the clothes are not a perfect indicator, right? So yeah. and then then I'll go around the shoulders or around the kind of you know this this collarbone area here. This we in, in craniosacral therapy, the other thing that we're looking to do is create is create motion around that breathing system because the breathing system is really set up right next to the nervous system and it's pretty you know beautifully designed because it does create force and motion right up against the the nervous system. Mm-hmm. So if there's if there's a lot of restriction, say around the pelvic floor, respiratory diet diaphragm up around this thoracic area, hyoid area, we know that there's not good movement happening generally tissue-wise through those areas. So there's going to be some restriction. 
Right. You know. Okay. So, uh, so what, uh, so you're, you're, you're going through the body and feeling these areas of restriction. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, the way you approach things is you'll, you'll work with those areas of restrictions, but you'll also r- work from the skull cap or, or the, the bones of the skull bones, to, yeah. to help get the cerebral spinal fluid moving there too. Is that correct? That's correct. So when you're, when you're working, like my classic idea of when I think of a cranial sacral therapist is someone who is just sitting and holding the head and (laughs) causing, right. Causing, you know, some mystery to happen in the, that cerebral spinal fluid. So is by, by working with the skull bones, like you're doing uh, and assisting the cerebral spinal fluid to move better, Yep. Are you then also influencing these restrictions elsewhere in the body or yes. are those kind of two separate things that you get these restrictions in the body corrected and then you also fix the cerebral spinal fluid and now it all's working flowing. Exactly. And, and, you know, so when I, when I first start working with somebody, most of the time I'll do what we call a 10 step protocol with, with I, my, my training was through the Upledger Institute, which is, you know, Dr. John Upledger coined the term, in the seventies craniosacral. Um, and what he, what he had found basically was something that it hadn't been sort of, uh, it, it had been guessed at, but no, no one had actually been able to do the diagnostics to prove that cerebrospinal fluid actually moves. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was assisting surgery at the time and just happened to like be trying to hold on to a dural membrane and, 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 and then, then he found out that this was happening. Right. So with the, he, he kind of was the first to, to develop a protocol for this. And the 10 step protocol is really working more centrally. It's working kind of around just the, 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 the nervous system itself. So working from the sacrum, kind of working through that breathing system to free up anything around the mid spine. We also do some kind of rocking techniques to try to create more motion sometimes here and at the base of the spine at the same time. Um, and then working through each individual cranial bone and, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of the testing that he did was kind of trying to figure out what is the natural motion of each of these individual cranial bones you know so the at the top of the head those parietal bones they're you know they're the, the biggest bones they kind of have a big lift there's a big vaulting that goes on through there and we have this big you know sinus that runs through the top of the head so it's a lot of pressure that needs to kind of go in and in and down from up there the temporal bones actually have a slightly external rotation to them Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, he, he, he would say that it was almost kind of like, it's almost kind of like our gills, <laughs> you know, if you, if you think about that and, and that if we don't have good motion through those temporals, it's a, it's a big part of our whole ENT system, right? So it can relate to hearing jaw, you know, the way, the way sort of, you know, pressure moves up and through there for our sinuses. And then the, there's the sphenoid bone, which houses all of our cranial nerves. And it also kind of sits at the base of the sinuses. And our pituitary mm-hmm. is right in there and stuff too. So, you know, that, that bone has kind of a tipping motion to it as, as, as it comes up through the system. And the maxilla is attached to that in, in the front and the occiput through the back. And the, and the strange thing is if you, if you look at this on a, on a skull, I don't know if you have one of these near you, but you got one. <laughs> I don't know if you can see the individual cranial bones on yours, but yeah. Uh-huh. The, the, if if you look at it from underneath, the maxilla, sphenoid, and and um, occiput are almost the same shape as our sacrum. Ah, uh, okay. From the from the back, I wish uh-huh. I had mine with me. I'd I'd show you, but it's yeah. This vaguely shows the sutures. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, my and my my I have I have one in my office that has different yeah. colors, so you can kind of see them. But but so I yeah, kind of think about I kind of think about those bones together as being almost like the sacrum of the head. Like it's kind of the, the tipping that happens at the top of the head that creates you know that allows for fluid pressure to move up and down, and then it kind of tips back down as the fluid moves back towards the sacrum. So okay. so so I'm 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 kind of you know analyzing that a little bit as I'm going, I'm trying to get a sense of where is there, where is there good movement? Where is there not good movement? Mm -hmm. How does it relate to what's going on with the person, you know, symptomatically that they're coming to see me for these kinds of things. And, and, and as you know, back to your point of, are, are we restricting things, you know, from the extremities or more globally to help the, to help that craniosacral system, that dural membrane system or vice versa, and I think you, we are kind of always working back and forth between the two, trying to, you know, trying to allow them to kind of find their own balance. And, and over, over time, you know, if we have imbalances, the body can deal with a fair amount of imbalance. I mean, we, none of us are perfectly symmetrical and we've kind of, the like I have one really kind of messed up foot for its congenital birth defect, really flat. My calcaneus is, is torqued a little bit. And so functionally, I'm a, I'm a little bit shorter through that side, even though it's happening more through, you know, the structural component of it. But the, my body has created all these adaptations to kind of, you know, figure out how to get my eyes back to middle yes. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and seeing on the horizontal plane. Right. So, yeah. so, so, it, you know, our bodies are pretty good at doing those things, but depending on like repetitive stressors, the kind of work that we do, um, you know, different activities. Like if you look at the body of a cyclist, you can almost tell the way that they're sort of like a little bit locked into that position. Their muscles start to, you know, they get giant quads and their pelvis gets a little tilted and and, right. and it works really well for their sport, but not necessarily for walking or for <laughs> doing some other activity. So, yes. you know, there's, there's always a certain amount of, of play in, in here too, of like, you know, we, we, we're, we're aiming towards the highest function possible, but sometimes, you know, we're, we're working within, you know, some, some sort of framework that, you know, we, we can't control every factor of, of what's going on for a person. We're just trying to, you know, allow it to work as, as, as well as possible and, and kind of get the most engagement as possible, have that autonomic nervous system. This, this is maybe the next thing we can get into, but you know, the, the autonomic nervous system that does all this kind of work without us having to, to think about it is another component that I think ends up becoming influenced when this system becomes more balanced Mm -hmm. and it starts to kind of, it starts to function a little more highly that way. And it takes us out of that, you know, dysregulated sympathetic fight or flight response and back towards a a little bit more balanced in terms of that autonomic function too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And would you find that the, so folks, uh, the autonomic nervous system is responsible for, uh, maintaining things that we are we can't consciously control or classically or traditionally think of as out of our control, like our heart rate, our breathing, even though we can control our breathing and other like, uh, you know, intestinal functions and other internal functions like that. And the, and the whole so, endocrine system. And, and <laughs> the endocrine. Yeah. Uh, all of those things that uh, are kind of humming along to help us live. Right. Right. Uh, right. That, that we don't have to think about. So autonomic, that's, that's why it's referred to as autonomic. So, um, so what is the relationship between cranial sacral therapy and the autonomic system? Well, it, when that system is more balanced, and, and again, I, I think there's this, there's this balancing act with, if, if the breathing system is free moving, it informs that autonomic nervous system that everything's okay, right? As soon as that, as soon as that the tissues around that breathing system also start to become restrictive, it sends up the signal that 
you know, there's danger, right? But mm-hmm. but we can kind of get locked into that pattern of breathing and suddenly, you know, everything starts to starts to ramp up a little, you know, more quickly. So, you know, having having a, a little bit more freed up system or, you know, a flexibility to the system or a pliability to the system actually just allows the whole body to to function better, you know, and, and that happens yeah. from the nervous system level, the circulatory system. So, you know, with one of the, one of the, you know, parts of our study is also looking at the drainage systems of the body. You know, the gut could be one of those. And then all of our vascular systems and lymphatic systems, they, they all have some, some interplay here in terms of how well we're functioning. And so there's, there's always this kind of back and forth. And I, and I, and I, you know, kind of keeping all these things in my mind sometimes when I'm working or when, when, especially when someone comes to me with something that's just, you know, a little off, they can't quite figure out what it is that's that's throwing a number of because usually people don't have one thing going on they usually have like some chronic pain some gut yes. stuff some allergy responses you know there's there's a, sometimes a, a combination of things and so i'm always kind of thinking about just from the start can i can i create an environment you know sometimes it's through this this is part of my training too in terms of dialoguing with people and being able to kind of get them to a place where they can settle sometimes i'm coaching them on a couple of breathing things to start out with to kind of get them into a better place and then and then there's a part of it where i almost kind of want the person on the table to be a little more of a casual observer of their own body tell me what you notice you know so, so at that i get a lot of information from too and i think we don't do that enough with with people in western medicine i feel like people really know a lot about themselves and about their bodies sometimes it doesn't come through an intake like the other day i actually i treated a woman who has a has a facial tick and she has been getting a bunch of different kinds of treatments and somebody that i know has been who does some some kind of light therapy has been working with her and the the thing that she that happened during the session that didn't come through in her intake was she remembered that she had an eardrum burst from an infection that she had when she was in an, another country swimming in some water that wasn't very clean probably and so she had to kind of emergency care in another country but has had some problems with that side and it's it's the same side that the facial tick is on mm-hmm. so i i don't know if that's exactly it but it starts to make me wonder now if there isn't something going on with restricted tissue that was probably part of that event. So, yeah, uh, I'll tell you, those little gems come out as you work with people, because I, I think in my experience, a lot of people aren't uh, trained to think that one thing is linked to another. Yeah. And so that's part of our value as a, as a ho- more of a holistic practitioner is to help them understand, hey, there may be a potential link here. Let's yeah. explore this and see yeah. what's happening. And often, it, it often to me, I don't know how it is with you, but there, you know, it, it's it's like, huh, I I wonder if it's this, you know, that they've never mentioned before, and yeah. you're just like, oh, I wish you would have told me that, you know, three sessions ago. And I, I think you're right. I think that has something to do with it. So. It's it's uh, part of, it's part of why though we should continue we should keep up this dialogue and and it, you yeah. you and I have had the benefit a lot of times w- with working with people ongoing for long periods of time like when I get to spend an hour with a person especially even in the early stages a lot of times if if there's something going on that I think needs a little bit more attention I'll suggest doing it for four weeks in a row just because there's. I feel like even if we free up something, it's it's tendency to go back to its pattern is always going to be there. But mm-hmm. also, 
I'm going to continue to gather more information. So I, I, you know, especially if it's somebody who's then also interested in working with me long-term, I might not see them as often, but now I really understand like their tendencies. You know, sometimes it's, there is a genetic or epigenetic component to it, but sometimes it is just like, they got a couple of weak spots in their system, you know, and, and yeah. now let's, let's figure out how to support those things. So they don't become problematic. Yeah. So what I'm getting in a picture of, of you, Jeremy, is that uh, cranial sacral therapy, in addition to cranial sacral therapy, you're also working with the body to make the two come into kind of agreement or alignment with each other. The one, the one influences the other and as well yeah. as other systems. Yeah. So you're working with multiple systems. Yeah. while also doing cranial sacral therapy is would you is that how you would describe it yeah yeah i mean i ultimately i i just want to improve the overall function of of right. the of the of for the person and and i think there's a part of this part of my training has also gone into I, i've been i've been a little bit more interested in the way that you can that you can do kind of some dialoguing work and 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 even use dialoguing work to facilitate you know things when you when you notice something going on in the tissue so an example is you know i might be working around you know a, a specific part of the body and get this and get this information that i had no idea i was going to get so this is this is kind of a crazy story i don't think i told you this one before <laughs> i i was i was working with this woman um i still work with her once in a while um she she had a she was hit as a pedestrian in a in a car walk in a crosswalk in, in new york and she was referred to me by her therapist because she was really having a hard time accessing stuff. There was, there was possibly a little bit of a, a TBI that happened, although they, it wasn't clear that, you know, what, what, what the damage might've been, which is often the case with TBI, you know I mean? Traumatic brain, traumatic brain injuries. Right. So, but she, but she had her, her, both of her lower legs, you know, broken, uh, bones broken, a lot of reconstructive work with her legs. Um, she was, she now had to walk with a, a cane, um, for stability just in case. And she was, you know, she was just not feeling well overall because she had been through something very traumatic, went over the top of the car, was in the hospital for a number of weeks recovering. So, so we don't, we, you know, you're never quite sure what you're dealing with. And she also just like, she she always came into my office with in just like seemingly in the worst mood, and I mm. it was at first it was sort of hard to break her out of that. But then over time we got to know each other a little bit more. We get you know she'd start sharing a little bit more with me, and I think sometimes that is the process into being able to you know to let go you know in the body too because there's there's a part of that that freeing up of restriction that I think also happens at that level where the person can you know let go of things. So so anyway, so I'm I'm working. I just start out the session. I'm kind of at the feet. And she says to me, it feels like there's a deadbolt in my knee. And so I then then when so, when someone gives me something like that, that's like such strong language. That's big. Then 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 I know that there's something going on, but but I don't always know what that is. And that's and that this yeah. is part of the dialoguing work is I have to I have to stay in that neutral space and then just become curious. So then I asked, mm -hmm. it, it, does it feel like it's it's locked or unlocked? It just seemed like the next logical thing to to ask, right? And she said, oh, it's definitely locked. And so I'm thinking at this point that it's all about the, you know, the, the mobility issues that she has with her legs. And I, and so the next thing I said is, how long has it been locked for? And she said, since childhood. Oh, goodness. And then I found out, you know, through the course of this, that 
she had been locked in her room as a child with her sister and then there was also some or, or I, I think i think i think what happened was they used to lock themselves in their room because there was a dangerous situation going on in the house with with a parent so now we and 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 sometimes when i'm doing this work and all this stuff comes up you can feel the heat rise in the body. You can feel all these things start to surface, which tells me, you know, which, which, you know, this is another part of the work that we know, we call it a somato-emotional release, that people are also holding on to things that, you know, in their nervous system. And, and, and don't forget that the nervous system is the whole body. It's not just mm -hmm. that brain and spinal yes. cord. And, and so right. this is where, like, where we store information or where these things pop up, I I never know where they're going to happen. Yes. And, and, yeah. and I try to stay really open to that idea that, sometimes a, a release can be facilitated that way and and for her the the big shift that happened was i think she, and and even for me as as a practitioner was that i got to understand that there was a lot going on with this person in their life prior to that car accident this was just another insult to injury and but but the thing that that you know we were able to thread through that is that she was able to acknowledge something that was going on in a way all the things that she was struggling with weren't just about the car accident and it changed her the the relationship with her therapist at the time and and that actually you know so the facilitation that happened th through my work actually helped the therapy and she started becoming a little bit more engaged and i think she had kind of gotten to a point where she she was kind of giving up on her body she didn't want to do any of the work anymore you know, she was generally depressed, but it shifted something. So this, this is where we have this sort of mind-body crossover that you, you never quite know what's going to happen there. And just having hand, when we're doing hands-on work, sometimes we're facilitating things and, and it's, and it's good. I, I'm, I'm glad that I did that training because I never would have known what to do with, with the deadbolt. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a beautiful story. I have a similar story, a few stories in my upcoming book, Solving the Pain Puzzle, kind of like that. We run Is into that. Right? that. Uh, we need to, we, we run into that occasionally as practitioners who see more difficult pain patients. Often this difficult pain is stored emotional trauma of some sort, you right. know? Right. And we have to be prepared to, I, I love your, your delicate questioning. So that was... That was really nice. It, it is um, the trick. It is the trick, and and I and I I I'm a little frustrated sometimes by people who don't maybe acknowledge the the importance of that. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm 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 guessing you're pretty good at it too, because we can start to make assumptions about about people and about situations that and even right. and even start projecting our own stuff you know i think mm -hmm. that happens a lot of times i i sadly i find it both in western medicine and alternative medicine medicine where they start to sort of like you know think it's all in their head or they think it's and, I, and what, what i tell people when they feel like they've had someone you know respond to them that way is that it's not in your head it's in your it's in your brain it's in and it's in your nervous system right and right. you know it's a it's a it's a patterned response that's going on and when it comes to pain right it's this this is this is not like something that that you're just making up yeah so my next question for you jeremy is you know you've got this approach to solving chronic pain uh that involves cranial sacral work mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people and and you know, I run into this kind of question with physical therapy all the time. A lot of are all cranial sacral therapists trained like you? Do Not they all, all take into the? Do they? If someone were to seek out a cranial sacral therapist, can they expect that therapist to look at the entire body and uh, kind of like you are to feel what's influencing that and and vice versa? 
Yeah, I mean, there, there are, so there are different approaches to, to craniosacral therapy now. There are there are different schools of craniosacral therapy. So there's there's one I know that comes out of England. Um, there's a couple different ones in the states. I would say probably in general, though, craniosacral therapists do look at the body much more globally, you know, mm-hmm. and and thinking about these these you know interplays that are going on that might be affecting things. The, okay. the, di- the dialoguing piece is another training. Right. So, yes. so it, for whatever reason, I was, I, I had a, someone who I did an advanced course with who also taught this stuff. And I just, I loved his teaching and, and I felt like he was very good at being, you know, with, with the, you know, person on the table, he was, he was, he was good at being sort of very gentle in, in his questioning and the way that he worked with them, but also firm and keeping them like, engaged if something like that comes up because what a lot of sometimes what will happen with with an emotional response coming up is people get embarrassed they don't want to they don't want to start crying or go through something mm-hmm. um and so they or they they you know sometimes people will just check out you know and mm-hmm. and and I try to be open to a little bit of you know to be patient with people <laughs> sometimes mm-hmm. people are not ready to to go there and and kind of go through stuff but I also you know for anyone listening who who's you know thinking about getting you know more subtle kind of work like this and is is concerned that they might have some emotional response that you know the 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 body kind of and our our systems I think do ha- kind of protect us on some level like we we don't usually take on more than we can handle mm-hmm. you know and 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 you're also going to be you know with, without thinking about it you're going to be making some some decisions as to whether or not you trust this person who's taking you through this and so you might only go to a point with them and that's as far as you're going to go with that person and that's just yeah. that's just part of a relationship so yes. you know but o- over time you know with with a good therapist who is who is very experienced they can they can kind of sit with this you know stuff with you for for a period of time and it might resurface again or it might come up in a totally different way and you know you you'll you'll just start to kind of understand a little bit more why you might be holding on to some of this stuff or why you're struggling to even experience certain kinds of things emotionally that might be you know a restriction in the way that you know your your body is holding things right right exactly well said um i'm another question i have it sounds like while you deal with uh, pain all over the body, are there certain types of conditions that respond particularly well to cranial sacral therapy? For those people listening out there who might have dealing with chronic pain and you know don't know where to look. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I actually think the orthopedic work you know, if, when, when people have something going on with like a, a, a back spasm, kind of a chronic, you know, tightness in an area that's taking them into an imbalance, I get, I can get things to move, you know, a lot of times very quickly. And, and, you know, as you know, I I also work with newborns. So, Mm -hmm. so that, you know, it's interesting to the, once I started working with newborns like 16, 17 years ago, I I started realizing how fresh their systems are and how quickly they just let go of this stuff. You know, I mean, the first baby that I worked on had really compressed cranial bones and the eye was kind of barely opening at six weeks on one side. So they wanted to put the baby in a cranial cap and try to reform the head that way. And I, I just got forced by a midwife friend of mine to, to do an eval for her. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, it was before I even planned on working with babies. And within a week of just, you know, when you're, when you're kind of feeling tissue and stuff, it just kind of starts to move on its own. You you almost can't help, but just allow that stuff to happen. And so they started sending me pictures a week later of, of what, what the baby's face looked like. And I was just blown away because, you know, having worked with chronic pain for a long time, I was, uh, it was, you know, 
that could have been a you know six week or a six right. month project, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so then I started realizing, oh, this is this a lot of this is about that that you know tissue you know memory response, that plasticity response that that the body has, and the patterning that sort of happens over time with with the nervous system. So. I, I approach adults, you know, with some of that stuff too, sort of kind of trying to get a sense of like, how long has this been here? And, and, you know, sometimes if it's like a new injury, that's a much easier thing to deal with than something that's like, yeah, I had a problem when I was, you know, in my first job and then I had a bike accident and then, you know, all these kind of compounding factors start to make it a little bit more challenging, but that, but, you know, some of those, some of those locked up patterns, you know, and, and I do a lot of work with like, you know, head, head injuries with whiplash and with a lot of chronic neck issues, especially now mm -hmm. that everyone's like looking down at their phones all the time. Right. And that of, right? Yeah. I, I, I find I can get a lot, you know, get a lot of mobility happening pretty quickly that way. Yeah. And, you know, and I do a little, you know, a, a little combination of things. I'll even do some myofascial work on them sometimes. And sometimes I'll be doing some, you know, gentle massage work or working around trigger points, you know, like shoulder blades, base of the head and neck, you know, hips and stuff like that to try to just get a little bit more moving fast. But I, a lot of times when when someone's in a pretty, you know, tenuous place where they're, they're really, they're, they're really, you know, in a lot of pain or I, something like that. I just, I don't start with a lot of force. I usually start with just, just craniosacral. I just find it's a, a good place to start and get a lot of movement to happen without, without much risk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. Especially working with newborns, especially, you know, their suture right. lines aren't completely closed. Right, that exactly. would be a fascinating, that would have been fascinating to see x-rays of that skull before and right. after oh right. my gosh that would be right. amazing yeah yeah and and sometimes you see it in their whole bodies i mean uh, there's there's something that happens in with this happens with adults in in sessions too we call it unwinding which is exactly mm -hmm. what it looks like you know sometimes i'll be working with a head uh kind of working on the you know the base of the head and neck and all of a sudden the, the head will go into a slight you know movement involuntarily on its own and then swing back to the other side and then back and forth. And sometimes it kind of goes through an extension and forward and, and I'm just kind of supporting it through those, those motions. And, but it's kind of all these, as we were talking about earlier, these kind of um, strain and counter strain relationships that have been built in over time that are sort of unwinding with it, with, a, with a newborn, you get your hands underneath them yeah. and they just immediately start going into all this motion. And it looks like, you know, to the, and, and at the same time, their, their, their eyes are fluttering. They're, they're totally out, you know? So it's kind of this beautiful thing to see how the system works, you know, naturally with a, with a baby, it just yeah. kind of starts to un, un, unwind and do its own thing. And a lot of times they just are at the end of the session, they're like little starfish on the table, uh. <laughs> completely relaxed. And, and for a baby who's had like, some colicky issues or really struggling to nurse or something for the parent to see them be completely relaxed is a huge thing. Cause most oh, of the time yeah. they only see them kind of screaming and red faced. So right. that that's that there, there are some big turning points that happen with babies and that's kind of more autonomic too, right? It kind of, that's all of a sudden at that place where they're already starting to develop these patterns of, of reaction to things yeah. because they're just in a, in a just slightly distressed state. Right. So if someone were to seek out someone like you for cranial sacral therapy, and let's yeah. say, you know, you're, you're doing a session, you know, I, I don't know how it really works, you know, how much of that time you're devoting to, you know, hands on the skull, you know, changing that tide of the cerebral spinal fluid and so yeah. forth. But what can they expect to feel after one of those sessions? 
usually people is there, feel is there a really yeah i mean pe- people generally feel really relaxed i mean mm-hmm. it's, it's and and i think there is a part of it that 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 is an autonomic you know response we've mm-hmm. we've sort of changed that response slightly um most of the time people feel just really kind of heavy and and I, you know i i also get the work so i can tell you one of the things that i notice for myself is that i also feel like it's it's almost kind of like I, i'm i'm in a really relaxed state but I, I can also focus really, really well. So like sometimes after I have a session, I like to do just like mundane tasks, like computer work that you try to rush through and do, you know, mm-hmm. doing a lot of emailing or whatever. And I just feel really relaxed and focused and I can just kind of, you know, yeah, just, just kind of that, that, that is what a balanced autonomic nervous system feels like, you know, that sort of that sense of hurry and rush and everything it should tell us that like our system's a little charged up. <laughs> on some yeah. level right yeah. and, and and the other thing is i feel like our senses kind of get heightened you know i feel like yeah i can i can almost kind of like sometimes the colors become really vivid after a session and my hearing feels really tuned up and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so i think those things probably become dulled when we all also in that kind of fight or flight response yeah you know uh gosh just listening to you it would be so much fun to work with you I think <laughs> Agreed. I just think uh it would be great if if you know we we could work together on and help some of these people you know I just think uh Well let's plan it at some, some point we get, we got to do it. You you have some unique gifts and I I really appreciate you know the the depth of your understanding of what you're doing so it's it's really uh gosh it just like lifts my spirits to to talk to someone like you who's oh that's who's awesome <laughs> so knowledgeable at, at so many levels you know of of helping people so. yeah and and some of it comes from experience and i think some of it is i have a real need to to get the language of it down i was i was an english major before i got into doing this work, so, <laughs> and i did so i went to writing school for a little while i thought i was going to yeah. go that direction so but i but i also find for me it's it's helpful to to, to be able to engage people and teach a little bit. I feel like that's also part of my work. Obviously it's part of your work too. You know, I, th- I think some of it's not as complicated. I know this probably sounds like a lot of new language if you're not, if you're not accustomed to this stuff, but to me, I, you know, if I, to simplify this, I really think the body is like a, a series of d- different hydraulic systems. And, you know, I'm just trying to think of how they all sort of are functioning together and and why why something might get off in in process too and and i you know knowing that autonomic nervous system i i've i've for anyone who wants to learn a little bit i i did a few i do these kind of little short episodes um that are like two or three minutes long on on the autonomic nervous system i talk about you know sympathetic nervous system parasympathetic nervous system and the enteric system which is that relationship to the gut and and i think that's those are those are just helpful to if if you understand that part about yourself you know just just that that simply you can sort of gauge what kind of you know thing what kind of help you might need too yeah you, you know yeah. what i mean i, I think that's yeah. that's that's an important part and for someone who's struggling with pain you know i think we i think we now know that it's not just about um uh, one thing one thing <laughs> or just nerves or just yeah. you know imbalance yeah. you know even even with even with you know, you can look at you can look at two different people's MRIs, and you can have somebody who has a much more you know, just has a lot more dysfunction going on in one MRI. They have no pain, and then somebody who has something very mild going on, and they have a ton of pain. So it's it tells me that it's not always about the structure. You know, that there's mm-hmm. that there's a lot of different functional aspects to what needs to go on. 
Absolutely. So where could people find those uh, little lessons that you're putting out there? Jeremy? So on, on, yeah. So highway two dot health is the, is the podcast website. And then, you know, highway to health podcast, you can find it on all the, all the listening platforms. Okay. And, and yeah. do you have anything else? Have you written any books or do you have any I'm, uh, I'm starting stuff for people. Starting to work on it. Yep. I, I, there's there's a lot of information on my on the podcast website, and you you'll be on there because we we just had a conversation. But I I also try, I'm trying to build resource for people who, um, you know, the, the the people that I think are actually doing really good work. So like when when we get yours up, uh, we just recorded last week. But I'll have I'll have links to your books and to all the resources that you provide either through your socials or, you know, videos or any of that kind of stuff, because I just wanted to start, you know, I wasn't sure that I wanted to, to push into doing a lot of video or I, I wasn't even the, the, the podcast sort of happened, you know, by accident a little bit to start. <laughs> and then, you know, n- n- now I'm starting to realize, yes, I should be, I, sh- I should start trying to capture this stuff and maybe even create some training programs for it. Cause I, I get a lot of people reaching out to me now through, you know, doing the podcast and because I work in different places in the U.S. throughout the year, that that people are starting to want to know more about how to work with babies, and there's you know, there, there there's there's a lot of good training that goes on if people are looking to if, if you're in a health field and looking to to learn more about this. The Epiledger Institute is a really great place to do training. I just find their 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 teachers are top notch, really really dedicated, and. Um, I've had a few of them on my podcast, so you can also, you know, listen to some of them. And and it's also a pretty good place if you live in any place in the U.S. I'm I'm in Minneapolis, and I do some work in New York uh, pretty regularly. But if you're in, in another place, um, if you go to the find if uh, on the upledger.com website, there's a place to just find a practitioner by zip code. So that can be something, and you can look up their training, which is really nice too. You can go on there and kind of see what the person has done for for training. So that can be sort of helpful because sometimes they have something really specialized that that you might you know be looking for too. Yeah. So uh, you know, most of the people listening to this, well, let's just say both of them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, are probably people who have, you know, they're at their end of their rope. Um, What, what could you, what would you say to someone like that? Who's just kind of frustrated and doesn't know where to look right, right now. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I I think, I think you have to first find like a good match. You know I mean? I think that's the, if, if you go to somebody and you just don't feel good about the relationship or, you know, they there's there's not a clear path for what they can do to to help you find somebody else or just continue to go search and get information i mean a lot of times what i'll tell people you know if i if i get somebody who's say got some sort of neuropathy going on or something like that and it's neuropathy can be one of those things where it's intermittent we don't always have you know a problem with it and then it comes and it flares at the times when you you know of course don't want it to happen you know, get and, and maybe you haven't been through any sort of testing for it. Go do all the things that you can do that through your insurance first. Get just think about your think about how, what you're doing is just gathering information, and even try different different kinds of therapy to start out with, and, and tr- kind of trust your gut. If if something really feels good and feels like it works, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. some so that you know there there are a lot of you know gentle approaches to to this stuff, and I think some of them work because 
we sometimes touch is a very powerful thing more than more than we you know give it credit for and and also having someone to just really pay attention to you and and this is part of my work is like someone who really hears your your whole story like it's not it's not just about what's what's happening right now but sort of understanding who you are as a as a whole person being able to sit, to talk about that with somebody whether it's a therapist or someone like me or you know even a, even even a, a doctor sometimes can be one of those people who's just like got really you know they're really attentive they can stay really neutral and and listen to everything Th- that that does a lot for us in terms of you know starting starting the healing process mm-hmm. so but but yeah i mean i think i with my with myself when i was going through this you know i i tried a few things at first that didn't work and i just mm-hmm. you know I, and i also maybe i i didn't i didn't understand what the problem was yet so i was starting to gather information and then at the end of the day we still have to make our own decisions about what we think is going to be best for ourselves yeah and yeah. and and trust that i mean i think that's the thing that i i try to remind people is to really trust your instinct if it doesn't feel like this is the right kind of work my kind of work keep searching don't don't give up just because this this wasn't a good match for you mm-hmm. and how would people contact you if if they wanted to find you or reach out to you sure i mean they can contact me right through the the podcast uh, uh the website there's a there's a link to contact me on there it's jeremy we'll at uh, yeah jeremy at highway to dot health is the is the email address okay yeah i i just uh wow i i just appreciate your dedication and your your depth of thinking and caring uh that that you've gone into to help your patients so thank you very much yeah thanks for having me yeah, always, always yeah. good to talk to you. Oh, it is. It is. We we really need to figure out a way to work together. I think that would be a lot of fun. But we're not too I'd far. Learn, we're not too I, far away. Let's 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 yeah. figure out let's figure out an opportunity. I know I'd learn a lot. That's for sure. So thank <laughs> Likewise. you so much, Jeremy. Thanks so much. Thanks to Rick for going deep on this one. I happen to love the work that I do, and I, and I found it very helpful for many types of conditions. And I'm so grateful for the amazing teachers and mentors I've had over the years. If you're interested in seeing a craniosacrotherapist with similar training to mine, you can find a therapist in your area by going to Upledger, that's U-P-L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Uh, that's the Upledger Institute's website, where you can find uh, a place on the front page there to put in your zip code and find a practitioner in your area. And you can also reach out to me anytime at my email address, jeremy at highway2.health. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Beyond the Paper Gown, hosted by Dr. Mitzi Krakover, helps people think critically about women's health issues, encouraging them to question and explore the complexities of healthcare systems, scientific advancements, and societal norms. There's a really cool episode that you should check out called Midday Menopause App, and that's about how AI and sensor technology can provide personalized interventions to manage menopause symptoms effectively. Check out Beyond the Paper Gown on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.